<clears throat> Good morning. How's everybody? Thanks, Robert. Hey, guys, we're going to spend our time today in 1 John chapter 1 and 2. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to 1 John, that's where we'll spend most of our time. Before I get started, I just want to take a moment and thank Ashlyn. Every time I come up here, we spend a lot of time in prayer and my studies. And, you know, in that time, she's called on to do more around the house. And so thank you for your sacrifice, Ashlyn. Thanks, Robert, for allowing me to come up here, and thanks to you guys for always being so encouraging when I do, so I just really appreciate that. Um, usually when, I, when I'm asked to teach, I, I usually just kind of teach on whatever it is that God is teaching me. This time, Robert actually gave me the topic. He said, I want you to finish my series on healing, so I went in and asked God what he wants me to teach on. It's a subject that both Robert and I are really passionate about. We both want to see the physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we're the kind of guys that we read the book of Acts, and we're just like, man, I want to see God raise the dead, cause blind people to, to, to see. But I also want to see God move in emotional and physical and, or mental ways as well, right? To break up strongholds, help people to overcome sin patterns in their lives, and emotional blockages. Today I want to, as we look through 1 John, the purpose of this is to really understand that there's this lifestyle that God has called us to, that it will allow holistic healing, internal healing. Um, I have sought God in my life for physical healings and just helping with some strongholds in my life. And God has showed me that there's two reasons why he doesn't um, sometimes immediately come in and heal me. Right? I go to God and I say, hey, will you help me with this issue? There have been issues that he has just completely taken from me, never had again. Other times, he allows me to, to continue in it, and there's two reasons. The first being, what I'm seeing on the surface is not the real issue. So I'm praying, God, take this thing away from me, and he's like, I can't, because if I do, it's going to come up some other way. There's something underneath it. The second reason is, and we're going to see this, in this as we get into this in just a second, it's one thing for God to heal you, right? You're going to experience a sense of joy, but it's a whole nother thing. It's a fullness of joy or a completion of joy when you can actually learn how you healed and then teach somebody else, okay? Two reasons why God doesn't always immediately heal. Uh, not every headache we experience is caused by sin. Not every season or trial that we're in is, is an immediate direct correlation to sin that we have in our lives. But a lot of these things that we are currently dis- dealing with and praying over have roots. And there's things that are blocking us from experiencing the healing. That if we're not willing to, to listen to God's word today, we will continue to get frustrated at our lack of response. Modern day 12-step programs like Celebrate Recovery and the, the many different forms of Alcoholics Anonymous and other anonymous groups all derive their work from the AA, which was formed in around the 1930s. These guys learned about a, these biblical principles that would allow healing. These 12 steps that are no more than just biblical main, maintenance that God has called us to. They are things that we should all be doing on a, on a daily basis. And, and just as if you stop changing the oil on your car, your car is going to experience problems. If you don't do these things, your body is going to experience problems. As we start reading First John here, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that 
you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. John's about to get into three principles that he wants you to know. But before he does, he wants you to understand something. He is saying to you, I am writing these things to you all so that you all may have fellowship with us, as us, or we, are having fellowship with God. Notice in there, we're going to get into this in a little bit more in in just a minute. He does not say, I'm writing to you so that you may have fellowship with me as I have fellowship with God. He says, I am writing to you all so that you all may have fellowship with us as we are having fellowship with God. You are not an individual having a relationship with God. You do have a personal relationship with God, but you have a personal relationship with God as a part of a body. That is the dynamics, that is the design that God has. We're going to get into that more, but I just want you to continue to notice the language that that John is writing. He is calling you into a community of fellowship. He is experiencing fellowship with God and with Jesus as a part of a collective body, and he's inviting you into that. Our current church culture, I think, makes two really big errors. The first error that we make is that we put way too much emphasis on an initial prayer. Or uh, we'll make the statement, I'm saved, or I believe, you know, I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus. And that's a really good statement. That's a big part of our salvation, is the initial response and our faith in Jesus. But I want you to see the way that the the writer Paul talks to the early church. In multiple multiple letters, he comments, and he's starting these letters, and he says, like in Ephesians, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards all the saints. Same thing in Colossians and Thessalonians. There is this mix of, yes, they have the faith, but they have the action steps of works. And when our current church culture puts all this emphasis on your faith, they take us off the hook. They make us feel comfortable Well, if I just spend more time reading my Bible, getting to know God's Word, that's what God wants from me. But there's this other leg that we need need to stand on and develop that we are ignoring. James would be so bold to say this, what good is it, my brothers, if if, if, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Our reading in John today is going to talk about what those works are. The second error that we make in our Christian culture, is that we consider our relationship with God individual. This is going to be the focal point of my message today. If we miss this, you miss the whole thing. Each of us is having a personal relationship with God, but you are a part of a body. 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You maintain your individuality, but you are a part of a body having a relationship with the Trinity. We must shift our focus and our thinking away from this individual mindset to one of a holistic, us together, unified, having a relationship with God. Do you guys see the difference in there? Do you relate to that? Have you ever considered in yourself how your relationship to others, your relationship to the body of Northcrest affects your experience with God? As I've been re- just preparing today, this morning, there's been this, this conviction on my heart as I think about how sad it is that there's so many people right now that just have no interest in God. People in Texas, people in Dallas, who are just 
totally engulfed with the gospel. It's everywhere, right? Like there's, these, there's so much access to gospel material, but they just have no interest in it. And I'll even confess in my life, I've gone through so much frustration with the church, with my relationship with God, because I'm like, I, I have no interest in religion. I was t- a terrible student because I couldn't see the practical need of what I was getting. To, to, to do something just to do it, does have, have no interest in that. I'm all about results. I'm all about power. And here I am growing up in this church and not experiencing power and being like, there's something wrong because I get the God thing. I don't struggle with the idea that there is a God and he wants to have a relationship with me. I'm, I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to the idea of God because of his power. But when I'm not seeing it in my own life, I grow so frustrated. And I thank God for holding on to me and for causing me to continue to dig in and dig in and dig in until the point that I can finally understand and now teach you guys why I wasn't experiencing power, why it is that there's an unbelieving world that's looking in at us and saying, I want nothing to do with you guys because we have no power to give to them. There are three key components of what John's about to give us. Confession of sin, regeneration or growth, And the third is love and unity. Let's look at this first part, confession of sin. It's a little small, sorry, but let's read it together. This is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. First off, what is the source of this message? It's Jesus. That which we have heard from Jesus, He now gives to you. This is a man who is in a deep, daily relationship with the physical body of Jesus, daily taking in the teaching, and he now says to you, let me give you what I was told. He starts out by putting this contrast between light and darkness. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then he keeps coming, going back to this, if you say, and if you do. Three times he says, if we say, that first one, right? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What is it to walk in darkness? He repeats himself two more times so you can get that broader understanding. If we say we have fellowship with Jesus, while we walk in darkness, is the same as to say you have a relationship with Jesus, but then again, you say you have no sin. We all sin. We all sin. If you say you have no sin, you call Jesus a liar. Some sins are more obvious than others, for sure. But either way, shame causes us to hide sin. This is a natural, seemingly natural issue that we've all been facing since the beginning of time. In Genesis, right after the fall, Adam and Eve have just eaten this fruit. God, they hear God coming, and what do they do? They hide themselves from the presence of God. Jesus, in John 3.19, says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest their works be exposed. Guys, this is a natural 
reaction that we all face every time that we have these issues. And so what do we love to do? Push them aside. Ignore them. Keep them to ourselves. Sometimes we'll even kind of throw a big blanket on it and be like, oh yeah, I, got, I have issues. Yeah, I know. But, they're, but we don't talk about it. We don't get into them, right? I'm struggling. Pray for me. I'm struggling. But God wants us to take that blanket off. In God, there is no darkness. Look at David here in the Psalms. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up. As by the heat of summer, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said to you, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is David's personal account to of times in his life when he lived with darkness, when there was things going on inside of him, and he refused to share it with anybody, refused to, to, to address it with even God. And he said his bones wasted away. I wonder how many times you've been experiencing this in your own life, not even knowing it was directly tied to unconfessed sin. I would say, I would challenge yourself today, Social media has made it really easy for us to look out on other people's lives and just begin to envy them, right? Their travels. They just bought a new home. They're in a new relationship. And it's so easy for us to focus on these things and say, oh man, this is the thing that I want. But David says, blessed is the person whose sins have been forgiven, who does not hide in the darkness. It's also really easy in our modern society for us to just numb ourselves. We've got issues going on. We know it. We're experiencing these turmoils, the lack of peace, the frustration. And so what do we do? We come home and turn the TV on. We turn to eating, drinking, pornography, maybe just sitting on your phone. I know I've done it. I don't, I'm going to bed. I don't want to be. That's the last place I want to be is getting ready to go to bed because that's the, the quiet place. It's a place I'm not distracted. And so what do I do before I go to bed? I pull out my phone until I'm just so tired I just fall asleep. But what am I doing? I'm just distracting myself from what is really going on. God's hand is heavy upon me. And he says, blessed is the one whose sins are, are uncovered. Now we are not the Catholic Church or any other church where we believe you have to confess your sins to one person. You have to go and you know, have this confessional. We believe in this open concept that, that, that God, it's not that I have to go to Robert with every sin, but it's just that God doesn't want me to hide anything. You may say, well, if you look at David, he was only talking to God. But what we know is this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And later he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. How do we get our sins cleansed from us? We have fellowship with one another and we confess our sins. Need more proof? James 5.13, if anyone is among you sick, let him call the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James says, you're sick? Let's get prayer. But first, confess your sins to one another. Going back to this passage with John, he isn't saying, if I confess my sins or if you confess your sins, continually, if we confess our sins, if we are in, together in a relationship, sharing our lives with one another, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us. 
Look at Jesus' prayer, right? It's right in front of us as he teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us today our daily bread. We must change the paradigm through which we see our Christian faith and our relationship to others. God is calling us into community. You are an individual having a relationship with God, but you are doing it as a part of this body. Early gospel days. Paul's going out preaching the gospel, comes to this town of Ephesians or Ephesus, preaches the gospel, and this is their response. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it counted to over 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do we see the works of God following the obedience of man? Following man, coming together, divulging their practices. We couldn't calculate, I couldn't calculate how much 50 pieces of silver was worth, but imagine us together collectively just feeling so convicted by our idolatry. Maybe we just say our our idolatry of technology, that we all came together and just said, we're going to burn it all. All of our DVRs, all of our tablets, all of our computers, all of our Nintendos. How much would that value be? And would it be worth it? Would there be a reward for that? It looks like it here when it says that the, the word of the Lord continued to increase mightily. The second part, after confessing of sin, is there is a regeneration part. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, you, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, or he is the payment for our sins. Did I get that right? Yeah, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is why we meet together. Okay? We meet together so that we can imitate John to each other. What happens with sin is that as soon as you do this thing, what does Satan immediately, this thing that Satan has been putting in front of you, do this, do this, do this, as soon as you do it, what does he do to you? Bring shame. He now becomes the accuser. And he starts to work on you and starts to make you think this thing, that this sin is between you and God. That God stands over there in his righteousness and is like, man, I can't believe he did it again. And Satan begins to put those thoughts in our mind that there's this barrier between us and God. And that we better do something about it, right? Ah, man, tomorrow I'm going to do better. Tomorrow I'm just, I'm not going to swear anymore. I'm not going to do this thing anymore. But we need to be able to come to each other and say, I did it again. I can confess my, my, my weaknesses to each other. So that I can hear from you, you say to me, hey, remember, nothing stands between you. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation. I need to hear that. Because the only way I'm going to get out of sin as Roman tells us, is if by the Spirit I put to death the, the, the deeds of the flesh. The only way you're going to overcome your issue is if you put to death the Spirit, or if you put to death the things of the flesh. And the only way you're going to have confidence to stand up against the enemy is if you are convinced that God is for you. If you are convinced that His, His power is inside of you. If you are convinced without a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you and is raising your life up, and you're not going to get there isolated because Satan's going to keep coming at you and coming at you. Shame brings this, this depression, this, this feeling of worthlessness. 
The women are in a book study right now for the battlefield of the mind. And they're learning this thing about how the enemy will just start talking to you. And he, he, it's so deceptive. It's so close to the truth sometimes that by ourselves you don't even discern it. But then you bring it out to the light and you start talking about it. And others around you are like, wait a second, that's not true. That's not who you are. You don't have to settle for that. But what God or Satan wants to do is for you to keep it yourself in that isolation. But as we come into the light, we allow others to speak that truth into us. And there's this regeneration. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Acts 2, 42-47. And we're going to get into this in a little bit more in just a little bit. But verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. That was the marks, the four marks of this church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, right? Whose teaching do you think that they were devoting themselves to? Oh, yes. But it was the apostle John, Peter, right? This is the the founder. These are the, the, the people. It says right here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. John was an apostle. This was his teaching, so here's this people who were devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings of this fellowship. And then the breaking of bread, which is the, it's the communion. It's the reminder of Jesus has paid it all. We're under the new covenant. And then there was the meeting together, right? Constantly. We have to aim for this lifestyle. Coming together regularly and sharing our lives. Celebrating our victories, but also being willing to to, to cry with each other through our defeats and through our struggles. And by this we, we continue in John. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The evidence of fire is heat, right? Put your hand over fire, your hand's going to get warm. If your hand doesn't get warm, it means your hand's not close enough to the fire. There's nothing wrong with the fire. It's the proximity of your hand to the fire. If you are in a relationship with Jesus, your life is going to transform. If your life is not transforming, how close to Jesus are you? Say it again. The evidence of fire is heat. Put your hand near the fire and it will heat up. If you say you have a relationship with God, with Jesus, but there isn't this life transformation, I'm not the one calling you on it. John is. John is saying a life with Jesus is going to transform. Whoever says he abides with him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's not a call to saying you'll know you're a Christian when you're perfect. None of us are getting there, guys. That's not the point. But it's the transformation process. It's the, when you confess sins and you're in front of others and you're receiving that, that, that confirmation and that gospel from other people, God is going to wash you and regenerate you. Your life will begin to look more like Jesus. Satan likes to work in two ways to disrupt God. We talked about shame, but he uses shame to do two things. He says to us, fix yourselves. We hide, we stay inside our our world, but just like our salvation, our growth is completely tied to Jesus, completely tied to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
and the process of sanctification is person to person. It's easy to stay in your own house, not, not get in close relationships with others, not get in close relationships with your coworkers, or not get super involved at church, come to church on Sunday, and hey, how you doing? Great. And go home and think, I'm doing pretty good. Things are going well. It's easy to think your house is, is in order when the lights are off. But turn the lights on, invite somebody over, and all of a sudden you're going to start feeling uncomfortable about maybe some of the dust that's around, maybe about the way you're keeping things. There's no better imagery to this than marriage. Anybody who's married is experiencing this. I'm sure there's, of all the wives, when they first got married to their husband, were pretty shocked at some of the things that their husbands did. My wife didn't understand this, but before we got married, I washed my sheets maybe once a year. I didn't even know I needed it. I thought, once a year I got this great idea. I should probably wash my sheets, right? And that behavior was okay for me because I didn't have any, anyone around me kind of being like, hey, that's gross. <laughs> mm. But a, that, that relationship, that understanding of, that a wife can help a husband bring goes deeper than just with cleanliness, right? You, you can't have roommates much less be in a relationship like marriage without your selfishness being revealed to you over and over again. Your lack of patience. Like, it lays dormant inside of you as long as you're an arm's length away from somebody. But be forced to be near them all the time, and those things that are dormant inside of you are going to come out. And as Christians in our modern society, where we live in houses miles and miles apart from each other, and where we can communicate without even talking to each other anymore, And if I don't like you, I'm just going to go find other relationships. And if I don't like this church, I'm just going to go find another church. I don't like my coworkers, I'll just go find another. We can keep running away from the issue. But this is what God is calling us to. And that's one of the sanctifying parts of marriage. Is that you are forced to deal with this thing. And one of two things is going to happen. It's it's either going to break you guys where you're like, I refuse to change my selfishness. And you're going to continue to fight until it's finally people just say, enough. Or through that discomfort, you're finally going to say, okay, what do I got to do to, to, to be made right? What do I have to do to change myself so that we don't keep having these issues? The second thing that, that Satan wants to do with, with our sin is he wants to make you feel like you're okay. Again, we talked about early on, the two big grievous errors our, our church makes as a culture is we put all this emphasis on the faith part of it, but not the love. And so we can sit back and we can say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And Satan loves that. He's thinking, great, I got this guy producing no fruit in his life, but completely comfortable with his status as a believer. In love, I'm calling you to something better. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul, the closest friend of Jesus, who says, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. The true evidence of our belief in Jesus is that your life will transform by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to see that is through a life lived in community, confessing of sins, washing and uh, renewing of Jesus. One of the areas that I see this the most with men is with pornography. I will get in a conversation with a guy and they'll say, oh yeah, I look at pornography, right? And, And in their own isolated world, it's kind of okay. They're, they're not really kind of measured up against any standard. They're, they're thinking, oh, it's all right, everyone does it, or I, it's not that big of a deal. But then you bring a little light to the table and you say, well, how often are you doing it? I don't know, once a week? A couple times a month? Really? Have you tried to stop? Yeah, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. 
And we can, and this is what Satan does. This, this life in isolation breeds contentness where you're just like, I'm okay. I don't have to make that big of a fight about this. But you bring it to light and all of a sudden you're standing there next to somebody else saying to them, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this thing on a weekly basis. And maybe it's not pornography, but it's something. To every single one of us in here, it's something that God is trying to do inside of you And Satan's trying to do one of two things. He's trying to either get you to feel shameful about it so that you're like, I got to do this myself and fix myself. Or on the other side, he's trying to get you to be like, oh, don't deal with that. That's not that big of a deal. And you can look to your spouse or you can look to your neighbor, but God's word is pointing his finger right at you. Any, Any diet plan, any workout plan is going to do what? It's going to encourage what? Doing it with others. Right? We all know that if there's, we have this accountability, I'm meeting you at the gym, you're going to go. And then when you're there, you're going to go harder. You're going to push yourself further. Just having that person there, this is the kind of community that God has been calling us to. Here's the last part. Unity through faith, through love. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you which is true in him as it is in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We need to break this passage down into two sections. The first explains the second. First, he says, Behold, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time, it's a new commandment. How can it be an old commandment and a new commandment? Well, it's an old commandment because God gave these guys this law in Leviticus. Leviticus 19, he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. So they've had this thing since the beginning of time, but it's different. Why? Well, if you notice, sometimes with the authors of the with the authors of scripture, they'll do this thing where they'll start a sentence, then they'll throw a comma in there, and then they'll kind of like, almost like rabbit trail or add something to it, finish that thought, and then complete their original thought. So you get this one thought, but inside of it you get something else. And it can kind of throw you off a little bit. That's what John does. At the same time, it's a new commitment that I'm writing to you, comma, which is true in him and in you, because... So let's just take that out and let's just write th- understand this. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's new because it's a different relationship that's going on. It's a new covenant. God has broken down the dividing wall and we are now one body. It was important back then, but it's even more important now. There's different contexts. There's different consequences for us not doing it now. And the thing that he's calling us to is this love. Same rule, just different context. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Again, the contrast between light and darkness. To be in the light is to be in this relationship with God, right? You say, you confess, I have this relationship with God, but yet you have this hate in your heart. John says you don't have this relationship with God. I see this, this relationship having two parts. This love having two parts. Love involves how I treat you and how you treat me. Unity. Our relationship with each other. But I'm only responsible for my part. 
I can't make you love me, so I'm responsible for how I treat you and the way I respond to the way you treat me, right? Again, I have to reiterate this part right here. Jesus has called us to, the bo- to be a body. And the reason I have to reiterate this is this thing I've been talking about since the very beginning is because you now have to understand why this commandment for love. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. All were made to drink of one spirit. This is the design of the church. So when you have this broken relationship, it's as if two cells in the body no longer coexist. They no longer work together. And the body will break down when the hand stops listening to the brain. When there is a breakdown, a nerve pinch, or a lack of blood flow between the heart and the hands, what happens? The hand stops working. The hand dies. And that's what we're experiencing, not just here, but all across Dallas, all across America. We're seeing uh, dead bodies of the church because there is broken relationships. It's not just here. Over and over, I only put three examples, but I I was able to come up with six or seven, right? Ephesians 4, he says, And he gave the apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. What if I told you that Jesus didn't die for your sins? Initial thought would be that's, that's not true, right? You'd be like, no, he died for me, sort of. Jesus died for his bride. Jesus died for the church. And you are a part of that church. If you have love for one another. In our modern culture, we are very much like sort of transplant people. We love to come and go. Lack of commitment. I go to this church for a little bit. I, I watch this church on Sunday morning. I, I watch their service. But what God is wanting for you is to be a part of that body. That's like the people of Noah's day being like, oh, I watched the building of the ark. I had it on YouTube Live or Facebook Live. I got it. I see Noah building that ark. It's awesome. I'm a part of it. Well, what happens when the rain comes? You're outside the boat. That ark is a picture of the church. And the church is not four walls. The church is a body. We are that body. This is a part of, of my relationship with God that I neglected for a really long time. I did the confessing of sins okay. I would be like, okay, I need to confess my sins. I'd get in this community group. and I would, But why am I not experiencing power? God, I'm doing what you said. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why am I not experiencing that? Because right here. Two key components to unity, right? It's how I treat you and how, you tre- how I respond to what you, you do to me. Let's look at that first part for a second, which would, I would call amends, or your relationship with others. Matthew 5.21, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry for his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accusers while you are going to him, going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out 
until you have paid the last penny. Follow this, follow this for a second. Jesus starts out by saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he starts talking about us and our anger. And anger is, no, is we get angry when something we care about is violated. Maybe somebody hurts us, somebody hurts our, our pocketbook, or somebody hurts somebody that we loved, so we grow angry. But then he says this, starting in, oh, this didn't get updated. Okay, it's not on there, but he says this in Matthew 5.23, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and bring your gift. If you are there, if you are in worship, if you are exemplifying Christian behavior, you are offering your gifts to God, and then you remember that, God, that somebody has something against you, God's like, stop it. This is how important your relationship to others is. God doesn't want your gift. He wants your connection with others. Make amends. First Peter Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is a general warning that Peter directs directly at men. This is to all of us. All of our prayers are hindered when we don't live with an understanding way, when, we're, when we don't have grace, when we don't have forgiveness, when we, don't have, when we have these broken relationships. Let me give you a story of it. I've told you guys this before, but a couple of years ago, I had this wart on my elbow. It was bothering me. I mean, I normally wouldn't bother me, but it's just every time I put my elbow down, it was causing me pain. So I'm sitting with my mom one day, and she sees it, and she's like, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to pray for me, and my warts would just fall off. I like, that's, that's amazing. Will you pray for me? So she does. A couple of days later, I'm sitting in an airport, getting ready to get on a plane, and the wart's still there. And as soon as I look down, and the Holy Spirit says to me, it's because you have a broken relationship. He reminded me that my relationship with my mom was broken. I had been disrespectful. I hadn't been gentle with her in that season. So immediately I call her and I say, Mom, forgive me. Sorry, just haven't been speaking these, these kind words to you. Will you forgive me? She does. So I asked her, pray for me again. She does. I get on the plane. It was actually going to England. So it was a long flight. Get, get there. Go to the hotel. Laying in bed that night. I look at my elbow, and that wart is literally just hanging on. And I just flicked it off. Hallelujah. My broken relationship was hindering my answered prayer. This is a little story, guys, of, but it's the big principle. Broken relationships cause unhindered prayer. Unhindered uh, cause will hinder your prayer. How many of us will neglect our selfishness? How many of us will neglect the way we speak to others? driving around, getting angry at somebody. Jesus says, if you say to them, you fool, you are content. You are held liable to, to the fires of hell. The founders of AA realized that the reason that they were trapped inside of the control of alcohol was because they had built these harbors that was keeping out the Holy Spirit. And they realized through those steps that there was these two steps that they were going to take where they built a list of everyone that they have harmed and they became willing to go make amends. I mean, they would call people, they'd go visit them and say, I'm sorry for this, will you forgive me? And during that process, that is where they claim that they began to feel the sunlight of the Spirit, they called it. They became to get restored to sanity. I know we're running long, so I'm going to be quick. The second part is your response to others. We are called to grace. 
Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your trespasses will not be forgiven. This is a major roadblock in my life, resentments. I remember praying the Lord's Prayer one day. Father, forgive me as I have forgiven others. And he just convicted me. He said, you are asking me to hold you in content because you have all these people in, in prison right now. Two, two ways to love, right? The way I treat you and making amends for when I'm wrong and the way I respond to how you treat me. Do I hold you in content? Do I hold you in unforgiveness? Guys, I've talked about these AA guys for a while, but these guys, they, they amaze me because they started in 1934, okay? No cell phones, no internet, no social media. Two guys quickly become a third, and they have this little group. Within four years, they had 800 members. After four years, they wrote a book because they knew they wanted to give this to more people. They give this book. They just send it out. Here's how you experience what we have, and they take people through the 12 steps. Within two more years, they had 8,000 members. Within 20 years of the beginning of their program, they had 150,000 people in their program. Why? Because there was power. Because people who were locked into the controls of sin were freed. They, could say, they can say to them, this is what my life was like. I was a mess. I was arrested. I lost my job. I, was, I couldn't hold it, stay in a marriage. But this is what God did to me. And they don't even say the name of Jesus. Why are we not able to do that? Well, I'll tell you, it's because we're comfortable. This is the sad truth about us, is that when we are well-fed and we have our shelter, really hard to motivate you. But when you got a demon breathing down your back, and it's life or death, I either do something about this addiction, or I'm going to die, you're going to be motivated to do whatever it takes. You'll get in a group. You'll start talking to people. You'll start dealing with some of the broken relationships that you have. I just, this, this comparison of, of what happened in, that, in, in the early 30s and 40s with the AA group is no more than what happened with the early church as they responded to the gospel. They received the gospel with such gladness and they were willing to do what they did. I mean, over and over. Look at these scriptures, right? They were all together in one place. And, you know, they, God added to their number 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the fashion, the fashion. The Lord added to their numbers day by day. But those, you know, who had heard their, uh, the word, the numbers, the men came with about 5,000. This is within two chapters. They were at 5,000. Explosions of growth. Why was there growth? Because there was power. North Crest is not, we're not trying to get to 5,000 people. That's not the point. But we're not going to get to 50 people. If we don't have power, we're already starting to see people come in, okay? Praise God. I just am so thankful. He has brought us through a serious time of testing. Everyone in here has gone through a really hard time together. We've seen a lot of loved ones just leave us. None of you guys are here for any reason except that you just love one another. There's nothing flashy about what we did. We lost our pastor. We lost our worship leader. We went five months without a pastor. Then we got an interim pastor. And yet, we guys just keep coming, keep being positive. But guys, this is the turning point. I promise you. I know it in my spirit. It testifies to me. We have gone through this season of testing. We are going into the new land. This is going to change. But we can't offer the people anything right now. 
We don't have anything to offer them if we don't have the power. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only comes through obedience. I'm getting emotional. I'm fired up. Because I want to see God move. I want to see God move in us. I want to, see, I want to be a part of this so badly. But I, and, and here's the other part. I, I was telling Ashlyn yesterday, I feel like John. I feel like I'm the Apostle John because I'm not teaching you anymore about a theory. I'm not an academic professor coming to you and saying, this text was written in the Greek and it was this and that. I'm saying to you, this is what I did. I now have a relationship with God. He has transformed my life. He has set me free. He has filled me with joy. I live with peace. I know how to experience healing. Do you want to know how? Do you want to join me as I'm in relationship with God? Do you want to experience the power? Then me and Ray are going, because apparently that's it. (laughs) Come on, Ray. Three things that we were called to here. Confess sin, experience life transformation, and love one another. Now, if I just kind of said, go do it, it'd be, I'd get about as much results if I said, hey, collectively tomorrow, we're all going to meet and go to the gym. Come on, 6 a.m., 5.30, CrossFit, we'll be lifting some tires. I know you're with me, come on. No, I'd have maybe one of you come with me, okay? This is, it's this thing where it's like, okay, we want that, but how are we going to get that? We, I don't know how many of you guys have demons chasing you, right? So there's two motivators. One is fear. Some of you guys might have that fear, but the other motivator is love. Love will propel you. Love propelled these guys. Love. How do you get that love? There's this really cool Proverbs. We're almost done. Proverbs 16, 26, a worker's appetite works for him because his hunger drives him onward. Real simple. You don't have any money, you don't get get to eat anything. You don't have money, you don't get food, you get painful. And that pain is going to drive you to do whatever it takes to get some food, right? Your appetite is going to drive you to the work. Pretty quickly on, especially in America, we're not really working for food at this point. We've got plenty of food. What we're really doing is we're working for dreams and aspirations. But whatever that dream is, it becomes your appetite. And that appetite drives you. It's the way that God designed us. This is the beauty of God's system. Whatever you focus on, you'll move towards. You focus on sin, you're going to move towards sin. Because it's going to become your appetite. You focus on, you set your mind on things above, you're going to be drawn into God. So the only way we're going to do this, guys, is if together we, become, we have this appetite. And I have this crazy challenge I want to give to you guys. This is your homework. And it's going to be goofy and it's going to be hard. I know some of you guys are going to look at this and say, I, okay, but I promise you it works. NASA did this thing a couple of years ago, 50 years ago, I don't know, when they were getting ready to send astronauts to outer space. They were worried what's going to happen with their perception when there's no up and down. So they gave these astronauts these glasses and said, wear these nonstop, 24-7. And what these glasses did is it flipped perception. So now up was down and down was up. So they're walking and everything's upside down. And as you can expect, they got sick. But something crazy happened. The first astronaut around day 21 to day 24, his brain literally flipped the script. He was still wearing the, the, the glasses, but his brain was so powerful, it was now reversed. Shortly after that, the rest of the astronauts in this program all experienced the same thing. 
by constantly focusing on the world upside down, the brain flipped it, and they can now see things right side up. In subsequent trials, what they found out is if those astronauts took those glasses off, even for short periods of times during those first 21 days, it didn't work. Your brain has to be locked in. It has to be focused to really experience that power. And so that's why I give you this challenge. All of us, please, every day we read these five verses. This is Acts 42, I'm sorry, 2, 42 through 47. Write it down. This is your homework. Whether it's first thing in the morning or it's at lunch or it's at night before you go to bed, take two minutes and read this. Because this is what we want. I, I think this is what we all want, right? Here's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the, the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Is that not what we want? Come on. Is that not what we want? You know how we're going to get it? We're going to do what they did. You know how you're going to get an appetite for it? You're going to keep putting it in front of you every day, just like those astronauts. We're going to retrain our minds. You read this, and don't read it. Some days I get it. You're going to read it and be like, okay, here, I just got to get through it. But as much as possible, read it emotionally. Like, invest into it. Get excited about this. And as you do, when you're like, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles, it's going to build this appetite. And you're going to be like, I want that. I'm missing that. Look at this. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. I want that. And when you want it, you're going to go do it. Everyone. This is our 30-day challenge. New people are coming. We're already beginning to start to do marketing. We're already seeing some kids' kingdom people coming into us. But right now, we don't have anything to offer them. The only way we're going to have something to offer them is if we can get into this community. And I told you from the very beginning, there's two reasons why God doesn't immediately heal you of some things. One, there's an internal issue that you've got to deal with. And this is how God deals with it. But there's a second reason, and it's just as important. I told you it. It's because it's great when God heals you, but it's even better when God teaches you how to heal so that you can heal the people who are coming in. You can say to them, as I say to you, I know what it takes. I have this relationship with God. Let me show you what I did. It's really simple. I didn't go to grad school. I didn't learn Greek. I just learned to live in the light. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that you have given us this truth and that it is so easy. It's right there. All we have to do is live in the light. I pray, Lord Jesus, over our goal that we would have this appetite, this hunger, this love to experience your power, to experience the transformation that you bring. Help us as we go to be that kind of church so that we can see your spirit move. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.